guys, good morning, and uh, good news, it, it stopped snowing, all right? And, and honestly, I am with the rest of you. I love it when it snows in November. I love it when it snows in May as well, so we're going to pray for that later this morning. But guys, uh, glad you came out today. It's good to see you, and, uh, and thanks for coming to worship with us this morning. We've been looking all school year at these, these, these fundamental questions that begin with the word why, times when, when, when people cry out to God, why? And, and also times when God asks people why. And these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at why questions specifically in the face of our struggles with suffering and evil. And I bet right now, if you gave it a moment's thought, you could come up with three, five, maybe even ten why questions that you'd like to ask God out of your place of struggle. But where I want to go with us today is back. And what we're going to look at is a why question that Israel continually asked God. It may, in fact, be the most frequent why question that Israel asked God in the place of their struggle. And on the surface, this why question is going to feel completely irrelevant. But I want to encourage you to stay with me because when we start to peel it back, I think you're going to see that their why question from ages past is strangely resonant with the why question a lot of us struggle with today. And let me give you their question. The question that they seem to have asked in their history more than any other why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Let me read. This is from Exodus 17. And it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Now they, kept, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, Kian, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? So Moses cried out to God, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead. Walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and, and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called that place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled with God and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let me frame it. For 400 years, the people of Israel were in a place of despair and hopelessness. For 400 years, they were enslaved to the superpower of the day called Egypt. 
Now, I've got to believe that in the times of enslavement, whether it was behind the Iron Curtain in the 20th century or in other places in history, that every generation hopes that their next generation, that their kids might finally discover what freedom and deliverance tastes like. But how many generations do you go until you just stop hoping and giving up any sense of the thought of deliverance for 10 generations Israel was in slavery without recourse without appeal without hope and as the the opening books of the bible describe it god comes down and he he saves them he delivers them in the most mind-blowing, eye-popping, miraculous way a person could be saved. God comes and he goes head-to-head with the powers of Egypt in the most spectacular and supernatural displays to shake them, to rattle them, to put them in their place and get his people out. He tells Moses, take a staff and go to the Nile, which is the lifeblood of Egypt, and strike that river and turn it to blood so they can see who the Lord God truly is. He sends on them plagues of gnats and locusts, destroying their crops. He sends on them plagues of frogs and boils, feeling disease. He sends on them overshadowing darkness, leaving them groping. He sends on them plagues of the firstborn death of every son, showing in the most spectacular ways who is in control and who the real powerhouse on the block is. And he gets Israel out of Egypt. Egypt not stopping there, even pursues Israel as God is leading them out. And they come up against this sea. And Israel finds themselves hemmed in between the water on one side that is completely impassable and Egypt barreling down on them, looking to destroy. And God comes in and he sends an east wind and the waters part and the people go on dry ground. He sends a pillar of fire down. He keeps Egypt as bay. Just as they're coming out of the water, the fire comes up. Egypt comes after Israel. The waters come crushing in. Does it get more spectacular? than this, right? We talk about God saving, but do you ever expect that? Now, that brings us to Exodus 15. And for a moment, a chapter, Israel stands on the other side of that sea looking up to heaven with their mouths hanging open, going, who is this God? Capable of doing feats and wonders like these? Who is this God that chose to save me? And for one chapter, they worship him. But 30 seconds goes by and it's time to move on. Because now they find themselves in a wilderness, in the desert. And I can almost imagine them like looking at each other, going, well, now what do we do? How do we survive? Where do we go? 
What's the next step? And maybe furthermore, what are we going to do with these very real life problems that we're going to face? And the biggest problem before them was probably this. Life in the desert with millions of people and not a drop to drink. And the realization starts in as the thirst starts to rise. And they start to look around and there isn't a drop to drink. So what do they do? Well, you heard it just a minute ago. They come to Moses and they start to to grumble. Did, Did God just lead us into this wilderness to die? Where is God? I thought God was a God who saves. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Have you ever found yourselves in those moments where God delivers you, God saves you, God brings you through something that you've been, you know, and he brings you on the other side And when the dust settles, you find yourself kind of going, well, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Not only now what do I do, why did God bring me out of that just to put me in this to begin with? Wouldn't it be better if I was back there? Have you ever had those moments where God has done something amazing in your life And in the aftermath, you found yourself wondering, even secretly wishing, that maybe he didn't to begin with. This question, this looking back, this this yearning to go back and questioning God in the present, it becomes the... It's like the motto of ancient Israel. It's funny, you can go through the books of Genesis through Numbers and you are going to see this question, why did you bring me out of Egypt? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt again and again and again? What's fascinating in the story I just read is that God actually miraculously saves them again. All right, Moses, take your staff, go to that rock, hit that rock, and springs are going to burst forth. And for a moment, Israel worshiped God. But 30 seconds later, that gets a little tired and life goes on. And they find that they start to get hungry as well. So they complain to God again, how are we going to eat? Where are we going to get food? What grows in the desert? So God saves them, miraculously. He sends this stuff, and the Hebrews call it manna, which is a Hebrew word that just basically means, what is it? (laughs) The story goes like this. They cry out to God. God decides to miraculously save again, and he says, go out, and whatever you find laying on the ground the next day, just eat it. May I suggest that is not a good rule of thumb for you. And they go out, and there's this white stuff covering the ground. And some, it had to be some six-year-old kid, I swear, goes up to it, the first one going, hey, that's pretty good. And every day, God miraculously provides. But listen to what happens in their story. Day after day, God is providing. But... 
the community raised their voice and wept aloud. All Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. If only we died in this desert. We can't stand this manna. How much more of it can we eat? If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Oh, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Anyone want some like stew right now? But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Okay. Have you ever prayed for something and like God came through? God came through against all odds. You prayed for something, you were struggling with something, you were hoping for something, even if it was unarticulated and God saved you. You ever come through something like that? You pray that the cancer will go into remission and it's healed. It goes away. You pray that the relationship you're in, which feels broken and hopeless, would find rays of new light. And it's restored. Maybe even stronger than it's ever been. You find yourself in a place of danger. I mean, real, real danger, peril. You're afraid. You're like, God, just get me. Get me out of this. And he does. Have you ever had a moment like that? And you find yourself on the other side, standing there, but then going, hey, wait a minute, God. Where's the leaks? Hey, God, it's great that you saved me, but where's the melons to eat? How come you didn't give me a cucumber with this? Oh, if I could only have cucumbers. Why did you save me, oh, Lord, if you're not going to give me cucumbers? Sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Until you start to translate it today. You know exactly what I mean. You see this happen with Israel again. God says, I've got a plan for you. Trust me. I've got a plan for you. Follow me. You're special to me. You're treasured. Take heart in that. I have got something for you. And he says, I'm going to lead you to this place. You are not destined to wander the wilderness. The place is so great, there's only one name they can give it. The promised land. And then they get there. Look at what they say. It reads... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back there. This little question, why did you bring us up out of the land of Egypt. You see it on the lips of Israel again and again and again. Now, I don't know all of your life stories, but I'm going to put money down right now. 
that none of you here had to be delivered out of Egypt in your life. And so the question can feel a bit ancient or a bit strange, but let me retranslate just a little bit and try to contextualize it today. Maybe you've never asked this, but have you asked this? God, why did you set me up? Why did you set me up? Because sometimes doesn't it feel like God has set you up for a fall? He does something. He saves you. He gives you hope. He starts to unveil and, 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 and reveal things to you. And you start to actually trust him and believe. Only to find out that as you walk that path, or even come on the other side, that all of the problems have not gone away. Or worse, you find yourself on the other side of how God has saved And problems that you never had to begin with suddenly start to pop up before your eyes. And have you ever had that moment where it's like, God, are you setting me up? Are you doing this? Are you bringing me to this place just to make it hard? Are you setting me up? For a fall. Have you ever found yourself asking now in your own way, geez, God, it would have been better for me if you just left me back in Egypt? This was Israel's deep struggle with God. Because in many ways, Egypt was easier. They didn't have to worry about themselves in Egypt. People fed them in Egypt, gave them clothes in Egypt, gave them houses in Egypt, gave them jobs in Egypt, gave them tools in Egypt, gave them purpose in Egypt. They didn't have to figure out their lives. They didn't have to worry about themselves They didn't have to solve their own problems. They had slave masters to do it for them. Now, never mind the fact that what they were given was less than what they could have ever had in other capacities. Never mind the fact that it was a life consigned to hard labor without hope. Never mind the fact that they could be mistreated, abused, and and, and acted towards in the most cruel of ways. Never mind the fact that even their own kids weren't viewed as theirs. But it was easy. It was easy. It was easier in its own strange kind of way. And I think there's so many of us who find ourselves in the face of certain problems that come up before us going, it would have been easier not to come to this place to begin with. See, I think what Israel wanted and the way that they viewed and envisioned their relationship with God is that if God saved them, that meant God would make their life easy as well. 
that God would remove their struggles, that God would pave the path, that God would take care of it all. But just because God saves does not mean that he solves all of the problems that people will face. Think of a, an example from my own life. I was blessed to have a father who paid for my undergrad tuition. My dad did not deliver me from Egypt, but my dad did deliver me from debt. But you know what my dad didn't do? He didn't pick my classes for me. He didn't get me registered. He didn't do my homework. He didn't make it easy for me when I was struggling with content material that was beyond me. He didn't go and negotiate with my profs. He didn't move into my room to settle my roommate disputes and make sure it was all taken care of for me. He didn't take my day planner. He didn't lay it out. Because if he did, he would have crippled me. He would have undermined the very thing for which the struggle of college was meant to prepare. Are you with me? I want to show you a video that's going to frame it in another way. This is arguably the most boring video you will ever watch. It's two minutes long, but in these two minutes, you're going to feel like you've entered a temporal vortex and every second is going to tick as though it was lasting 10. But I want you to stay with it because it illustrates something about the way God saves and yet the way he does not solve. Zach, if you'd cue it up. Oh, yeah.
pressure for my touch the camera must with it. Do you feel like you just lost three hours of your life that you're not getting back? Now, from our perspective, those two minutes were rather brief. From our perspective, didn't it feel as you were watching that that it was calm, easy, natural, beautiful, even? But let me ask you, do you think it felt like that from the perspective of that butterfly? For that butterfly, I bet those two minutes felt like an eternity. Fighting. Pushing. Struggling. Wrestling with an internal question of whether it would be easier to just stay in there, to just give up, of whether he could even make it out, of whether it even mattered. I bet for that butterfly, those two minutes were agony. You know, I kind of think that's what it's got to be like for God watching us. As we come up to these insurmountable problems, these things that keep us in chains, these things that are deep struggles, from God's perspective, it looks like just a short blip of time. A short blip of time in comparison. That from God's perspective, it's something wondrous and beautiful to behold. Something that's filled with joy and that could even be used to describe with words like peaceful, easy, calm. All the while, while we're in there in the midst and every second feels like an eternity and we're pushing and struggling and not knowing where this is going to end up and wondering, when, wondering whether we should just give up to begin with and whether it would have been back to just go back to being a caterpillar rather than a butterfly. You know, there's been people who have actually done this where they've come to see these, these butterflies in, their, in, in the sack is called a chrysalis. Where they've come and they've seen the struggle of this butterfly trying to get out and in a mode of compassion said, I'm going to help it and take its struggle away. And with a pair of scissors would snip that chrysalis so the butterfly could just easily fly away. But you know what happens if you do? You cripple it. Because the struggle was necessary for the butterfly to develop. The struggle was necessary for it to function as a butterfly. 
And though God will save us again and again and again, it does not mean he solves all the problems because he knows that if he does, it will cripple you. It will cripple you and keep you from becoming something greater by far. And believe me, for those of you who are struggling right now, I know how much that sucks. I know how hard that is to conceive and how much you would rather it be another way. But this is what God had invited Israel to trust him with and believe every step of the way as he honed and developed them to become the people he wanted them to be. See, I think we get so fixated on what God has saved us from that we forget what God is saving us for. There's this great passage You have been saved by grace through faith. The scripture's right. And this, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, so no one can boast. God saved you. But he saved you for a purpose, it goes on to say. For you are God's handiwork, his craftsmanship. Prepared in Jesus to do good which God has prepared in advance for you to do. What I loved about that video that we just watched a moment ago was not even so much the visual as it was the audio. Did you catch it? Now, I don't mean the words, but did you catch the tone? Two people with their camera whispering to one another not to disturb not to distract not to violate the holiness of what was going on waiting and anticipating with almost kind of a joyous sense of expectation as though they were standing on holy ground And I'm here to tell you that in your struggles, God is watching. He's whispering with anticipation of what is going to come. Without violating this moment that you face, which truly is holy ground. God brought Israel out of Egypt for a purpose. And the wilderness was their boot camp. Because while God got Israel out of Egypt, he still had to get Egypt out of Israel. And whatever God has brought you out of means there is a purpose And all problems will not be solved. But God is doing something. 
and he invites you to trust him. He's doing something because I got to believe all of us have got a little bit of Egypt inside of us as well. And so I love just what the scriptures have to say when they reflect back on this struggle and path of Israel. These times when we're saying, why did you bring me out of Egypt? The times when we're saying, did you just set me up for a fall? Romans will write this. Well, what shall we say in response to this, to these kinds of questions? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what God asks us to say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him grant us all things? He goes on, later on, reflecting on this even more, to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from his plan and his purpose? Shall trouble? Or hardship? Persecution? Or famine, he asks? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? After all, the scriptures will say, all day long we face these things. All day long we feel like sheep led to the slaughter. But no, he says, and all these things, and all these struggles and all these problems and all these times you face, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that as we close today. Think about that in two ways. One, God has made you an inviolate promise that no matter your struggle or what you face, His love his presence, his purpose, and his future remain sure. But two, problems you will face. It's not an if, it's a when. Trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. You will face feeling like a sheep led to slaughter. You will face. But in all of these things, you will conquer. You will conquer. 
God will not take all away, but you will conquer. Because nothing can separate us from the power and love and salvation that God brings. I want to encourage you, as the prophets did, to beware of looking back to Egypt. Grass is always greener, isn't it? And instead to trust God and what he is doing and where he is bringing you instead. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And as they come up, I'm going to invite you to rise. They're just going to close us out in a brief time of worship today. So as they get prepped, I just want to invite you, if you would, to take a moment and pray with me. You, Lord, are a God who saves. It's something the scriptures are filled with time and again, your deliverance against all odds. And for many of us, God, probably something that we've experienced firsthand as well. You are a God who saves. May we never doubt that. May we never doubt that even though you don't take every problem away. May we never doubt that even when the past looks better than the future. May we never doubt that. When the struggles feel insurmountable. When it would be easier to just give up. May we never doubt that. May we never doubt you, we pray. Forgive us, Lord, for every false motive, every time we flee, every time we grumble, every time we challenge you and defy your plan, every time every time we fixate on our two minutes instead of the eternity that awaits. For those here today who are struggling deeply, deeply in that chrysalis, fighting, wondering. For those here today who are in the desert, not knowing what to do about the problems that increase. Oh God, your hand, your guidance, your spirit. Pour upon them, we pray. Amen.